Welcome back into the Sports Buzz Podcast. This is a very strange place for this, uh, but uh, it's a presentation of WKYT, and the folks have asked me to do this. And not only do we talk to sports people, uh, but we're um, honored to be here with Governor Matt Bevin today. Governor, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. There are some who think politics is a sport in its own right, so maybe this is more appropriate than we would think. You know, I was telling Blake Brickman, your chief of staff, this is entirely different. My last semester of school at Georgetown, which was in the 80s, um, I had an internship at the TV station, and I took coaching and officiating by appointment. And so I was over here in the Frankfurt Bureau, and it was when that blue carpet was outside, and it was just an entirely different place. But it's a fascinating place. And I'm sure you would say sometimes it can be an exhilarating place, a frustrating place. How has it been for you as opposed to what you thought it would be when you got here? I come from the private sector. I mm-hmm. come from the sort of the free market, good ideas rise to the top and get done. I come from the world of being a, you know, a CEO. Uh, and so it's a very different approach. Here things grind glacially. Uh, they take ridiculously long sometimes to get to the right conclusion, even though it's obvious from the beginning. Then there's many reasons for this, some good, some not, but it's the nature of things. I knew this coming in. I didn't come in blind to that possibility, but it's even slower uh, than I might have hoped it would be, but it's all good. In the end, we have divided government for good reason. You don't want any one branch making all the rules, and so melding people, it's like teamwork. I mean, it's like you talk about this with any number of different folks. You know, there's a reason the Lakers can spend all the money they want, get all the players they want, and not win championships. You've got to have a team doesn't matter how much superstar talent you have, and doesn't matter which generation. Rarely can you just slap a bunch of great talent together and make magic happen in the end. And so here, you got to get teamwork, and it requires a lot of moving parts, and sometimes that just takes time. There, there are a number of things I, I, I want to ask you about, and I appreciate the time because so many people, I know one of your frustrations is, is that people, that they, they assume things or they think something, and they, and they don't just ask. Is that appropriate? <laughs> I mean, it's, this is human nature. This is who we are as people. We, there's a verse in scriptures about itching ears hearing what they want to hear or giving itching ears what they want to hear. And that's just human nature. It's who we are. We like to sometimes hear the positive or negative thing that we want to believe to be true. Sure. And so we won't even take 10 seconds to figure out whether it is true or not. We'll just believe it, repeat it. And this is a town where there's a lot of that that happens. Things get repeated as fact or people respond to an allegation as if it's fact and then spiral off into some rant. And so these things happen. But sure. It's because we're human beings. I know you don't remember the first time I met you. I was coming out of the station and I'm like, somebody's broken down because I saw this guy under the hood of this green. What, what was that thing you drove it's around? It's a 2001 Suburban. I the, still have it. The yeah. Suburban. I was yeah. going to ask, do you still, oh, you were yeah. checking your oil. You'd come in to do something with yeah. Bill and you were checking your oil. Do you still have I, it? I do. I do. It's got 220 something thousand miles on. It's a good truck. Still works. works. Oh, works great. Works really great. Actually. Um, few more rattles than it had, but it, but it all, and the other day I, it had a, a, a smell of, of burning that is not normal, but <laughs> which would be a hose not or alarming, something. but not alarming. Yeah. Maybe something was dripping onto a hot hose or something, but it's all good. It works great. Do you sometimes hearken back to those simpler days and, ha- and you know, kind of the, having a vision, is it fair to say having a vision is a lot more difficult than turning it into policy? Not necessarily. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. If you don't have vision, the old saying, without vision, the people will perish. So too will a administration. So too will a business. So too will a family. You've got to know what your vision is, what you're trying to accomplish. There's no chance that you're going to accomplish it without the vision, without laying it out. 
I have people ask me what difference can one person even make, and I say with a straight face, I mean, more than none. The reality is right. if one person gets engaged, takes point, and wills something forward and doesn't accept no when yes should be the answer, it is amazing what can be accomplished. And my vision for this state was a simple one, to be the center of engineering and manufacturing excellence, to do things efficiently, to do things with integrity, to do things without the corruption that has been systemic in this state for a long time, to stop looking backwards and bemoaning the financial status and saying we're a poor state, but to look out the windshield with optimism and to look at the possibilities before us. And this is happening. And it's creating a sense of hope and, and uh, aspiration in people uh, that is contagious. And I love it. I mean, that, that I love. And so is it easy? No. Uh, but it's simple. Very simple. Sure. I, I know that you've talked a lot about transparency, and I love transparency, too. I'm a guy that voted for you. So I want everybody to have that out there just right on the front. You might have just lost some Stop. viewership. Listen, I had a chance to deal with a lot of your people in a lot of different cabinets, people that are personal friends, people that I met while I was trying to help some people who were coming here to the state, uh, people in economic development. I know Terry Gill has gone out. But, but listen, I'm, I'm like a speck. And Commissioner Gill was trying to help me get somebody some information. And he was in Paris, France, and I got an email from him on a Saturday night at midnight. And what I would say is, is that you put together an awful lot of people like that. Coming from that private, what was it that you looked for when you put your team together? I looked for three things. And incidentally, just so you know, for members of this administration, you get a lot of emails at midnight because that's usually when we break for lunch. So, <laughs> and I'm hardly kidding, actually. I'm hardly kidding. I looked for three things. Three simple things. People of good character, people that were competent, that actually knew what it was that they would be responsible for oversight of, and people that were committed to serving. So people of good character, people that were competent, and people committed to serving. I didn't care about the politics. I didn't care whether they'd supported me. I didn't care whether they'd run against me. I ended up with people who had run against me and spent millions saying I was a bad guy as members of my administration. I ended up with people who were Democrats, lifelong Democrats, still are as cabinet officials in my administration. Because that doesn't matter. It's people of character, competence, and who are committed to serving. This is why this is the best administration that has ever served Kentucky. Economically, the things that you have done, I think you were at a groundbreaking today for the Cooperage over in Moorhead or something like that that, that, that got going. So many different businesses and companies ha have come here. What do you believe the reason? Obviously, you've gone out and you've courted those companies and you've tried to improve the business climate, but is it as easy as that? There's several moving parts to that. We've had nearly $20 billion of private capital invested in Kentucky in the last three years and change. The best year we'd ever had in history was $5.1 billion. We've crushed that each of the last couple of years are on track. I hope to do it again. We're absolutely shattering every record we've ever had. The way we're doing it is by taking the advice of Abraham Lincoln, a good native son, mm -hmm. who said that good things may come to those who wait, but only the things left behind by those who hustle. And just the idea of Abraham Lincoln saying hustle, I mean, it sounds like a good sporting Right, right, right. right. Like, he, like he should have been the third base coach. <laughs> like, come on, right you got it. I mean, but that's true. If you get out and hustle, you can make things happen. And the analogy I've often given people is that if you grew up in the country like I did, and a lot of people did, if you've ever walked down a, a dirt road on a, on a sunny day, you'll see little things. The sun will glance off things and something will spark. It might be a little piece of mica. 
But it's imagine walking down a dusty road and you see something really catch your eye, but you look over and it's just a bunch of dusty rocks. But you're sure you saw something sparkle, so you pick up this dusty rock and you kind of dust it off and you hold it up and it's this stunning jewel just stunning and you dust it off and you hold it up in the light and the light is cascading off of it that's kentucky kentucky is this incredible jewel that has been allowed for generations to lie on the side of a dusty road and gather dust while people around us drove right on by and states around us with all due respect to them that are a fraction of what we are in terms of workforce work ethic quality of life cost of energy abundance of resources rivers roadways railways airports they can't hold a candle to us but they've been eating our lunch because they have been driving down that road while we sat there and collected dust and the secret to our success is we've taken this off we're taking this gem that is kentucky we're holding it up and i'm bragging about it all over the world I'm traveling, I'm talking to people domestically and foreign, right. and we're seeing records of capital invested in this state, record jobs being created, the lowest unemployment ever, more people working than ever in the history of Kentucky because we're out hustling people. Now, that's all fact. Yeah. That's all fact. But then how do you deal with the fact that somebody comes up with a poll that says, you're the most unpopular governor in Have the country? Have you ever, this company, I love I, it, the people who want to be the haters love that poll. They it's do. by people you've never heard of. It's a bunch of former liberal reporters who started their own polling company a few years ago. I mean, this is, it's not, you know, Zogby's or Gallup or whoever. I mean, this is, right. it's like some, like Joe, you know, Joey Bagabaloni's polling company. <laughs> right. And everyone, who cares what they, literally, there's always going to be the haters. Right, but, but, if you, been, but if you've got self-pride, you've you got to care. Uh, I, don't. I know you no, do. No, because it's idiots talking. And when it, I've never lived my life for the impression of ill-informed people. I really haven't. If an ill-informed person is gonna say something that tries to drag me down or underestimates me or overlooks something I've done, who cares? I don't have enough time or energy to waste on ill-informed people. If a thoughtful person, an actually informed person, thought poorly of me, that would concern me. I'd wanna know why. I'd wanna get information from that person. And there are such people. And I like to learn from people because constructive criticism is a powerful, powerful tool. Whether you're in sports, whether you're in politics sure. or anything else, if you're willing to listen to coaching from people who have an objective eye and have been there and done that, you're always going to get better. But the reality is there are far more negative nannies than there are people with you know, constructive criticism. I seek the latter and not the former. You talk about that coaching. One thing I love in coaching is the phrase, hey guy. And my question for you is, do you have a hey guy, that person or gal, yeah. that'll say, hey, governor, listen, you know I'm with you, but do we really want to do this? There are, I don't have a single designated such person, but I look at the people that I have on my team. My chief of staff, Blake Blickman, Blake, Blake Brickman, outstanding. Great I mean, dude. Blake is phenomenal. His knowledge, his maturity, his experience, outstanding. I look at Scott Brinkman who's my cabinet secretary, overseeing all my other secretaries. Just brilliant, thoughtful, outstanding. I look at guys like John Chilton on the budget side, outstanding. I could go down the line sure. of all of the various cabinet secretaries. Each and every one of them, if they come to me and tell me you should know this or you should think this or I think you should consider the following, I will always listen to them. Every one of them is in many respects much smarter than myself on certain fronts infinitely more. They have knowledge of things I'll never know. So if they tell me based on their experience, you should do X, I will do it. I defer to the judgment of people that I trust. 
and I have a lot of great people on this team. Another phrase that, that I go back to in coaching a lot is self-scouting. Yeah. I mean, as you self-scout what you've done so far yeah. and as you look ahead to the future, are, are there things, I don't want to say regret, but, but are there things you say, yeah, maybe I could have done that a little different. Maybe I could have said that a little differently. You can always, if you look in the rearview mirror, you can always imagine woulda, coulda, shoulda, this or that. But the people who spend their life looking in the rearview mirror end up failing to accomplish what they want because they're not looking out the windshield. They miss opportunity, they run off course, they crash into some other obstacle because they're so busy staring into the back. Right. I don't waste my time looking backwards. It's, it's irrelevant. It really is. It's not to say that you can't learn from it or be thoughtful. That, that's what but, I'm saying, not staring yeah, I mean, in the back. No, I mean, to, of course, you should always be reassessing everything. And, and again, taking the pulse of people uh, that can help you out. Uh, but there are people who beat themselves up over this or that. I Great. don't say things by accident. I don't. And that may shock people. No. <laughs> but I'm very intentional in the things that I say. There are many things attributed to me that I've never said that had I said them, I would say, gee, shouldn't have said that. But the things I've actually said in context, I mean completely because they're truth, they're fact, they're sometimes painful. And you talk about self-scouting, and you talk about things that you do, and as you move forward and you look back on it, we are in Kentucky at this time in the barn shoveling years. Again, I grew up in the country. I've alluded to it a couple times. Sure. So did a lot of the people that are going to be watching this. If you grew up in a barn environment, in the springtime after long winters, there's stuff that has just piled up in the barn that over the course of a summer you'd have taken out more frequently. We have had a long political winter here in Kentucky. And there is a lot of stuff piled up in the mm -hmm. barn that is Kentucky. Right. And I'm the shoveling governor. This is, it's not fun. It's not easy. It doesn't always smell good. Right. doesn't make people happy when you disturb it because emanations happen. Sure. Uh, but you know what? It needs to be cleaned out. And I'll let some future governor ride the pony, uh, assuming there's a pony under this pile. <laughs> I think there is. And so we're shoveling. And it's all good. I signed up for this on purpose. I'm a country kid. I understand hard work. I'm willing to make hard decisions. I'm a former military officer. I understand about making command level decisions and owning it. Right. I know that it's not easy for people to make uh, hard decisions, but for me, it's simple, and I'm willing to do what needs to be done because I love Kentucky. A couple of things about what you say, and I, I actually had that down as a great, and I've talked to people about this. People say, do you think he just gets like, kind of, no, I, I think he means to say those things. Now, that, be, that being said, are there ever times when you get home and, you know, she's there at the door with a kiss on the cheek and you put the briefcase down and she says, what the heck were you doing today? Here's the thing. We don't have a television. So we, I don't watch. That hurts me of, personally. I'm just I'm kidding. Sorry. I really, I <laughs> that don't. really hurts me. Okay. And so I can, I can stream you online. <laughs> Thank you so, very yeah. much. OTT, the, I like yeah, that. But, but, but in all seriousness, I, I don't spend, nor does my family, we don't sit there and watch to see what other people say about something that was said. That said, of course. You talk about people that are sounding boards, and anybody who doesn't listen to their spouse uh, probably isn't in a very solid relationship. Right. And I would say this. My wife is more sensitive to the, the feel of what people say or how they react than am I. It's not to say I'm not a sensitive guy, yeah. but, but she is, a, is, is wiser than me on that front. So, of course. And she'll say, hey, listen, whether you said this or that or the other, this is what people are hearing, this is what they feel. And some of it is just based on misinformation, but nonetheless, right. it's their reality. The only time I've ever apologized, and I have no problem apologizing, ever, for things. I apologize to people individually on a regular basis, even publicly for certain things. But sure. the only time I've done it for something that I said 
wasn't for what I said, it's for the impact that it had on people. And I truly was sorry for the fact that people misunderstood and misinterpreted things to the degree that they genuinely were hurt by it. That is never my intent. I don't say things trying to hurt people, but I am very clear and unapologetic about speaking truth into situations sure. that a lot of times people want to tiptoe around. Was that the deal when the, when the pension thing happened? Is the 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 time you're talking about apologizing? It could be any. Oh, I, it was. It had to do with more. I don't even remember the exact instance, but there was one instance. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but there there are any number of instances sure. where people can take something out of context, and the media is fantastic at that in terms of the print media, where you'll talk to them for five minutes. They'll write an article and they'll quote you in a single word. They'll write a paragraph with a word you actually said in the middle of it that's not what you said. You really did say that word, but it's not in the context. So I don't worry about that. Here's the thing. I would not be governor if I spent my time trying to be politically uh, operative in the way I did things. Or correct. in the try. We've got to make hard decisions. We have the worst funded pension system in America. We have a major opioid crisis. We have way too many able-bodied working age men and women who do not go to work and are taking advantage of the men and women who do go to work. It's not unique to Kentucky, but we have more than our fair share of it. We have an antiquated tax structure. We have an antiquated labor laws. We have a pension system, as I said, that's severely underfunded. These things have got to be addressed. We've got an adoption and foster care system that is broken. All these things are unpleasant. They're not easy but they're simple in terms of you wake up in the morning and you do the right thing and we'll let history and we'll let the voters sure. decide what they think about it. One, one more question about that communication and this came up and, and, and I took a look at it during the whole Mueller investigation thing where a lot of people were very careful about saying we're not questioning you know FBI agents or thing like that we're, we're questioning leadership not looking back and staying there but do you believe you might have already had a pension bill had your criticism gone toward the leadership of some of the organizations that were fighting you on pension? For instance, the teachers. I mean, the, t the leadership of the teachers union, I personally felt, went about things the wrong way. Do you feel you would have been better served by pointing your frustration at them and not the teachers as whole? Never have ever. And I, again, you're in media. So you go out and find any evidence ever, and trust me, it's out there if I've ever, sure. ever said it, where I've ever criticized a teacher, either individually or teachers collectively, ever, never happened. And again, your even assumption that this has happened in the premise of your question is evidence of what I'm talking about. People just misunderstanding what's out there because things that are not true have been repeated as fact to the point that it, and that's, that is, you know, perception becomes reality. Sure. But never, 100% of the time, it has been directed specifically to KEA leadership specifically. Occasionally JCTA, but it's KEA leadership. Sure. The question though, at the underpinnings of your question is, would things have been accomplished? No, there's been resistance to this forever. What I know for a fact, if I had not brought this up, we still wouldn't be talking about it. And there are people that are working now and some even already retired for whom checks would stop coming. The KRS system, KERS, right has less than $3 billion in it. Last year it paid out a billion dollars, took in a hundred million. Do the math on that. You don't need to be a math major to realize if you have less than three, you spend one every year and take in point one, you got two to three years before it's gone. We are that close to people not getting checks in this state. I'm the only governor that has ever funded this pension system, ever fully funded it, including the teacher's pension plan. 
I'm the only one that's never swept the lottery funds, which were supposed to go to education, and they never have 100% until this administration. There's more money being put into the classrooms per pupil than ever in the history of Kentucky. And the narrative, too, that somehow I'm against teachers, in my immediate family, grandparents, parents, right. siblings, there's six public education degrees. My grandmother, my father, two of my siblings have degrees in public education, have been public school teachers. My, my sister's still a fourth grade school teacher. I mean, this is the reason I fight for this is because of people like my grandmother, who, who retired after 40 years as a teacher. Awesome. She'd been a single mom. She lived to be 94. Mm. She was widowed when my mom was a kid and raised two little girls. And the only thing she had as the son, as in her case, the daughter of immigrants, her parents came here not speaking any English. She was the first person in her family ever to get an education, got an undergraduate master's degree in public education, spent decades of her life teaching kids math in high school. And the only thing she had between the time she retired and the time she passed away at 94 was her teacher's pension check. Had that failed, she would have been destitute. And it is for people like her that I'm fighting. And all of the naysayers in the leadership who, trust me, the KEA leadership is trying to protect control of union dues. They're not looking out for their members. They've lied to their members. They've given millions to support Steve Bashir and help him get reelected when he was robbing them blind. Robbing them blind. Taking billions out of the, their pension check while telling them sweet nothings. And they've lied to their membership because it gives them power, gives them control. They're not looking out for the teachers. They're not looking out for the students. And it, while it's painful for some to hear that, and while they immediately conflate or try to redirect my comments that have been specifically to them as saying they're about others, and some even trying to say it's about all public workers, nonsense. And I would ask you or any of your viewers to ever find any evidence of me ever saying anything specific about anyone who works for the state of Kentucky. In any capacity, you won't find it. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. You said you were close. You've been doing some... I don't want to use a Calipari phrase, but tweaking, that, that you've done some adjustment on the bill and you're close? I mean, it's red. Trust me, the thing is completely ready. It's still not even what it needs to be. We, we have kicked the can down the road and kicked the can right. around. What I mean by not being what it needs to be, what it needs to be is an immediate hard freeze of every single pension plan in the state. If we don't do that, they're going to fail. But this is a step in that direction. It's to start to give these quasi-governmental organizations some relief. And so we have to balance the human impact right. of those who are expecting to retire with something that was promised to them, whether it's legally owed to them or not. We have a moral and a legal, in some instances, obligation to people. And so we need to fulfill that. So you have to balance what people expect with what is actually financially possible. This bill does have some recent tweaks that it's just accommodating ideas that the House and Senate had. Sure. Some people wanted to make it tougher, which I'm happy with. Some wanted to soften it up, so we've done a little bit of both. It's massaging it around the edges. We're actually about to put that back out again uh, tonight, sending it in a letter to every single member of the legislature. So it's a good bill. I mean, and, there's no, and no decision has to be made by any of these quasi-governmental organizations until April of next year, which is after the whole next session. But so, you just need to get something in place by July 1, right? I, I don't need to. But for the sake of the quasi-government organizations, they sure need to. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me. But as the governor of the state, it sure, I sure care about it. Sure. Because what I know for a fact is there are going to be hundreds of people who will lose their job if we don't get this right. Because there's an actual cost to paying the pension obligation. And on July 1, the true cost 
is going to be delivered and by law people are going to have to pay the true cost of meeting the pension obligation. They can't afford to because of the lies of the KEA and people like Governor Bashir and others for years. They lied and lied and lied to people. And now the true cost is being put on the table. People can't afford it. This bill is an attempt to feather in that true cost by soft-shoeing this thing through the next years and giving people a chance over the next 30 years to dig their way out from under the mess that has been put on them. And, and to me, the thing that seems to be the biggest point of contention, nobody loses their pension. No. In fact, the, the irony is this. If we don't do this, people will. They will not just lose their pension. They'll lose their jobs. Some people, you, here's the thing, nobody loses anything, even if they lose their job, that they've accrued to that point. There's nothing being taken away. Again, you talk about lies. The KEA has literally told members they're stealing your pension, they're taking your pension. Nobody's pension. This is the only effort that's ever been made to actually save and preserve the pension that's been made. The reason I vetoed the previous bill that was passed by the House and Senate is because in it there was a clause that would take pension checks away from people. That's illegal. It's immoral. There's no way I will ever sign into law, with my signature certainly, a piece of legislation that would take a pension check away from somebody that's earned it. Because I'd, again, I'll just transpose my grandmother into that person. Sure. No one's going to take a check away from my grandmother that she earned, nor should they from anybody's grandmother or grandfather or whoever. So we're doing the same bill minus that. It could be tougher, should be tougher, financially will ultimately need to be. But in the meantime, it's a good bill. There's, no, there's not a Democrat or a Republican that shouldn't support this, assuming they want health care benefits, behavioral health benefits, rape crisis benefits being served in their communities. If they want their regional universities to survive. This is a good bill. So, uh, so will that letter tonight, will that include a call to bring the legislature back here no, to do no. that? I mean, again, I'm waiting for them. The, the ball is in their court. When I don't get to decide how they're going to vote. But you do when have the big stick. Me. I, I don't even get one vote. There's 138 votes and I'm not one of them. I'm not. Trust me, this is, where, this is where people don't understand the separation of powers. The governor cannot vote on legislation. Right. I can't. The only thing I can do is after it's put on my desk, either put my signature to it, not put my signature to it and let it go into law without my signature, or veto it. And when there are illegal things like taking checks away from people, I'll veto it every time. And it also had the wrong dates in it. 138 people supposedly all read it real carefully and then nobody caught the dates that were wrong in multiple places. So these are the kind of things. Let's just do things professionally. We can do it. We have the knowledge. We have the experience. We have the, the drive in our legislature. We have good men and women. Nobody does these jobs without wanting to do the right thing for Kentucky. True. That I know to my core. These are good people. We just need to act with a sense of purpose and make tough decisions. This is the time for big boys and big girls to step up and make big decisions because this is where we are in Kentucky. I know your time is tight. I want to ask just, just a couple of other things. Le your relationship with the legislative leadership as we're yeah. talking about teams and stuff, how, how would you describe, do you, do you get together with those guys regularly? Do they yeah. come and bring lunch or what are they? I mean, it's usually professionally. I mean, I don't, I don't you know, I'm not a, I got It could be the kids. softball game. That could be it. Yeah, I mean, occasionally it's funny. I mean, there's some of them, I don't I won't name names, but you know, you try to catch a concert or you try to go somewhere or do something, but very rare. I don't have a lot of free time for social. I bet. I really don't with a wife and nine kids in this job. Uh, that said, uh, we do have regular communication, even this week. I mean, 
on the phone, by text, uh, conference calls, in-person meetings. We do a lot of meetings. I've been in their offices. They've been in this office. We meet a lot in this room. We meet over at the mansion. Um, I have a lot of calls with individual members as well. A lot of good dialogue. I mean, it's, there's a narrative that I think people would love to... Uh, Which is why I asked. Yeah, and it's funny. I, they want so badly for there to be some ill will. There's none. There really isn't. Even, I don't know, we just did this ceremonial bill signing right. with a bunch of bills. Some of the members of the House and Senate leadership were there. Some of the non-members of leadership were there. Very, very good relationships. There's very few people with whom I don't even have a, a real relationship. There's a couple of people I really just don't have any relationship with, but none of them in leadership. Your relationship with the Bashirs has been a, a point of conversation or, a, a around... I don't, really, I don't have one. I really don't have a relationship with them. But, but let, me, let me ask this, and, and I mean, if you're a student of Kentucky history, everybody talks about the Hatfields and McCoys. I think the Hatfields and McCoys is like kid stuff compared to Governor Bevan and the Bashirs. It seems to be personal. It's not. Here's what's interesting. So you talk about one of the things I always hear when people say this about all the lawsuits going back and forth. How many of the lawsuits that have existed between myself and the Attorney General do you think were initiated by me? Zero. It's one way. Everyone's trying, it's, it's all Hatfield or all McCoy, whichever side that side is. <laughs> okay. there's, there's no equivalent on the other side. 100% of the lawsuits have been in one direction. And they're done for political posturing. Because every time he does one, he gets a front page story. So whenever he's feeling a little bit down and out and unloved and forgotten, he'll get his friends to give him front page stories by suing me for something. He's done it six, seven, eight times. I don't even know how many times. I don't take him seriously because he doesn't take himself seriously. He's not a good lawyer. He's not a good attorney general. He'd be a horrific governor. The fact that he chose as his number two guy, the guy that if he gets hit by a bus would take over all law enforcement for the state, and it was a choice he made shortly after he was elected, was a guy that had run all personnel decision-making for his father for six years, and that guy's now in federal prison for the next seven years, speaks volumes about the beef that I have, which is, it doesn't, it's not personal. It's about, I don't care who you are, if you're buying and selling this state as they have been, and as this guy Longmire, who worked for both of them and did their dirty work and was one of their bag men and was taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in cardboard boxes and handing them out in cardboard boxes in parking lots at McDonald's, including toward the end to FBI agents, which he didn't realize. And so now he went to the Hokie, but he's doing it for the two Bashirs, one of whom was and one of whom wants to be governor. I don't care what your name is, this state is not for sale. And if you're a Republican or a Democrat, I will stand in the gap against that every single time. And if you take offense to it, sorry, doesn't bother me. This is not a position, in an elected position, where you should be doing it for your own self-interest or that of other people. This state has been a pinata uh, politically for a long time and we need to clean it up. In, in, in terms of that, it seems like a lot of the rub for you may be more with the former governor than the current attorney general. I'm, no, I'm just offended by corruption. I don't care where it comes from. It does, I mean, some of it was before me, some of it has the potential, some of it's going on in other offices. I mean, look at this. How much have you covered the sexual harassment and uh, gender discrimination lawsuits that have been coming out of that office? The media doesn't even talk about it. He literally has a gender discrimination suit that is still ongoing specifically against him by women who have worked in that office. The media doesn't even talk about it. Gets a completely free pass. I'm offended by that. 
I'm offended by people who are responsible for upholding the law who don't even do it in their own offices. I'm offended by people who buy and sell this state. I'm offended by people who are corrupt. And if the Bashirs, if the shoe fits, so be it. Governor, uh, in terms of that, you've gotten us into the campaign just a little bit. And, and in terms of that, everybody talked about the margin. Well, your margin this time was greater than it was last time, right, in, exactly. in, 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 in a primary. Uh, do you feel like, though, there is some shoring up you need to do with the base or, yeah. or not? I'm just I mean, curious. What, what is the base? I mean, again, no, I I understand. four years ago, I won by less than four ten thousandths of one percent. Yes. And then I won by nine percent in the end. This year, I won by 13.5% or whatever it was. So I've got a, a big head start on whatever the base is sure. compared to the last time. But if you ever assume you've got it in the bag, that's the beginning of the end. If you're ever running for office, you always got to keep your foot on the gas. So you never assume that just because someone was for you, that they'll be for you again. These same counties that I lost in this primary, I lost in the last primary. But I won them all in the general. And the only race that matters in the end is the general, in terms of whether you're the next governor or not. You've got to win the primary to get there, which we did handily. And it's so funny. I love the headlines, again, were just classic. You've got to stop reading the newspapers, one thing I would oh, say to again, you. I, watch I, get get a TV. TV. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But and I do. I do read things. But it is the headlines are hilarious, though. You know, about limping to victory. 13%. If that's limping, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what I have to do to gallop. But I don't worry. I just don't worry about it. And I know you don't in worry the about end, it. I only have to win by one vote, you know, and I think we'll win by a lot more than one. Eighty three was probably close enough or eighty five or whatever. Closest it was. statewide election in American right, history. Right. But here's the thing. This is a distinct, clear choice. This is a binary choice. There's no longer hypotheticals or I wish I could have some of that guy and some of the other one. There's one of two choices. They're either going to have continued progress looking forward or you can go backwards, literally in name, in ideology in methodology, if we want to go back to corruption and inside dealing and people who are stagnating and promising free money to people that doesn't exist, you're going to have that choice. If you want somebody who's pro-abortion and proudly voted for Hillary Clinton and thinks she would have been a great president, Andy Bashir is your person. But there's not that many of those people in Kentucky anymore. There just aren't. And the people who support this president, the people who support America, the people who value Kentucky and want to look forward and not backwards, the people who support life, and think that this issue matters, this is a very clear, clear binary choice. It really is. How many times would you like to get together on the same stage with the oh, attorney? As, as many as he can handle. You, you'd, oh, I would, do it, I would do it every night. Get on the same train oh, and do the be, whole Lincoln-Douglas oh, thing? It would be awesome. I, I think would, that'd be great. I, don't I know, would love it. I don't know that your wife would like you doing it like in every county, but I mean... I, you know, I think she... Which, <laughs> I, I'm just saying... <laughs> <You're> just, just <laughs> I'm just saying... It would be fun. And you know why? Because the truth in an instance like that, where people are allowed to be on the same stage, each representing what they believe, and being able to speak truthfully about it and not try to hide it, what you'll see when this happens, assuming he's man enough to actually stand on the stage and debate, and I would hope he will be, what you will see is him trying desperately to tap dance around positions that he has firmly taken. And you'll see him trying to do it as out of political opportunism. But he's a crooked son of a crook. He is. And that's a straight up fact. And people will see it for what it is. And that's one of those things that just didn't come out. That was a calculated thing that you just said. Oh, I mean, he's crooked. His father was crooked. That makes him a crooked son of a crook. And I don't think Kentucky needs more crooks 
in government leadership at any level, certainly not as the governor here in Kentucky. Let me ask you a couple quick hitters. Uh, the opioid thing, uh, Rex Chapman, my buddy and I, he's, he's been affected. We've talked with a lot of different people. I probably grew up at a time kind of like you did where you think you could gut your way through anything. Uh, people that can't handle this. I, I mean, this is a real hard problem. How are we attacking it here in the state? And tell me again, that the problem being what exactly? The, the, the problem with so many people, this, this, this overabundance of opioids and people that need help trying to get off of it and rebuilding their I lives. Mean, it's awful. It, again, depending on how you look at it, you can, you can look at just the drug problem itself or what right. is causing it. If you're constantly only addressing the, uh, if you're only looking at Band-Aids and not saying what caused the wound, uh, then you're not going to address the problem. Right. Several things we've done. Number one, we've spent more money addressing this than ever. I've put millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars into budgets to come up with programs that are fact-based, that are research-based, that are evidence-based, so that we're not just throwing money down bad ideas, but saying, what programs work? Cyber-controversial. Needle exchanges, for example. We've let local control decide this. Some counties are for it, some are not. But the evidence has shown that where it exists, you have seen less spread of disease and indeed ultimately with people coming in, a chance to intercede and people being able to get into uh, diversion, into treatment. It's controversial. I, like any number of people, are offended at the idea, why are we spending taxpayer money for this or that? But the point is, if we want to fix the problem, we're going to pay now right. or we're going to pay later. We just won the largest grant in the history of Kentucky. From the University of Kentucky's standpoint as well, they're going to be administering now a $90 million it's grant incredible. from NIH. It's focused on 17 counties, 17 locales mm -hmm. specifically, where we're looking at these communities where overdose rates, rates are the highest, and we're saying over the next three years we want to reduce those rates by 40%. Every state in America competed for this that wanted to, and there were four states that were chosen. We got the largest grant of any, and every other state is bigger than us. Massachusetts, Ohio, New York, those were the only other three states in America chosen. And Kentucky was chosen because we are leading on this charge. The, the find help now, I mean, these kind of things, the, you know, don't let them die. These kind of things, these campaigns, these PSAs, these 1-800 numbers now staffed by live people who can actually answer and tell somebody where there is a bed, not where, hey, gee, sorry, there's none in your community, right. but 50 miles from here, there's a bed they'll right. take you tonight. The Angel Initiative, where every single Kentucky State Police post in Kentucky now, if you come in, you could be on drugs, you could have drug paraphernalia on you, but if somebody brings you in or you bring yourself in in that state and say, I need help, I want help, you will not be arrested, you will not be charged for criminal activity associated with that drug use, you will be put into a program that can get you help. This is how we're going to do it. One step at a time, one person at a time, bringing naltrexone, or naloxone, I should mm -hmm. say, which is Narcan, right. into these communities so that people have an ability to bring people back, making sure that our first responders are, are trained in this, making sure that we're spending money for our first responders who are now susceptible to things like hepatitis A and things that come from right. this by making sure that we are covering them for the vaccinations that they need spending significant money to make sure every first responder is vaccinated in this way. These are the kind of things we're doing, being proactive. It's why we're being trusted by the NIH to be a thought leader on this. It's why other states are looking at us. None of these will fix it. But we also have to think, and I'll end my answer to this on this, if we assume that there's no responsibility on people who break the law, that's a big mistake. People are breaking the law, that's criminal activity, they should be held to account. But if incarceration is not fixing the problem, what will? If a person is breaking the law because they're an addict, 
then putting them in prison doesn't fix the addiction, doesn't address the underlying cause. So let's start to have drug courts. Let's start to have diversion into treatment programs. Let's work with the federal government as we are doing to change rules so that you can have more than 16 beds in a drug treatment center. This is something I've worked directly with CHFS mm -hmm. on, and indeed we've made changes at the federal level. Let's start to make changes with respect to how many days of Medicaid dollars can be used for a treatment programs so that if it's a 180-day program, and oh, sorry, Medicaid only covers 30 days, well, why waste the 30 days? It's a waste of money to put person one-sixth of the way into a product. Right. You know, so we need to be smart and be focused. This is, this is solvable. The underlying core issue, it's, it's psychological, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's economic. There's a lot of underlying currents. But people who do not have a job, people who do not have economic upside potential, people who do not have hope, ultimately are robbed of their humanity. And people that are robbed of their, inhum of their humanity make inhumane decisions. Right. And they make bad decisions about themselves personally. They make bad decisions about their family and their communities. And that's this deathward downward spiral. And this downward spiral is what we need to negate. It's what we're working on here in Kentucky. A, a parallel kind of path, uh, great financial benefit from hemp along the same lines. I've heard some heart-wrenching stories uh, about people with medical conditions. What about medical marijuana? Yeah, I mean, again, every single time, go back to four years ago, every debate that I had, I was for it. Ironically, my opponent was against it. I have always publicly and privately, 100% of the time, said I support the idea of marijuana being prescribed and regulated like every other drug. Every doctor should have that possibility. I hear people saying, oh, we should do it so we can tax it. Nonsense. It should be taxed no more or no less than any other drug. It should be if it is medicine and it is capable of providing a medicinal alternative to some pharmaceutical product, why should a doctor not have that as a possibility? So I am a strong proponent of it, but the, the, the details matter. And I've yet to see a bill. A bill's never even hit my desk on this. I know it's been bantied about. There have been several fits and starts. Some have come out of committee, some haven't. Right. But I think it's a matter of time. I think we'll get something done here. Sports betting. Sports betting, again, I mean, it's now been allowed, you know, I was actually party to a suit that, because this is a 10th Amendment right, this is a state's right. rights issue, but this is all that glitters is not gold. It's not. And if you look at states, so what will happen again, it's going to depend on what the legislature says. It's now right. legal, but you have NCAA teams that are saying, really, we don't want to get sucked into the middle of that. Right. You've got these massive powerhouses of UK and U of L and all these great teams that they don't want to be in the middle of it. You know, we already have sports betting as it relates to horses. So it would afford us the ability to do some things as a state and arguably make some money. But here's what's interesting. The state of Nevada that's been doing this for years, right. where there's billions of dollars worth of handle that moves back and forth, bets that are placed, where they have 150 physical locations where you can go in and place a bet, where they have a network that oversees that and regulates that and monitors that. Guess how much they brought in last year in terms of revenues from sports betting, which they've been doing for years? Somewhere between 15 and $20 million, about $17 million. We don't even have any of the infrastructure. We have many people mm -hmm. in opposition. We wouldn't even be a fraction of that. So for a few million dollars, is the juice worth the squeeze? That's the question I would ask. Our legislators will ask that. It is a possibility we could make some money off it, but sure. is the juice worth the squeeze? I'm not sure that it is. Because I think people imagine that it's going to be some big powerhouse of dollars right. that it just isn't. And it isn't anywhere. It's not, not just for us that it won't be. It won't be for anyone. 
relative to what they think it will be. Two final questions. Speaking of powerhouses, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, there's no powerhouse in this country right now quite like the president. How often will the president be in here to stand with you during a campaign? As often as he has time to and wants to. I mean, I have a very good relationship with him. I spoke to him just earlier this week. Uh, How did that come him. about? Did you guys, did, did he we, ask you to be involved in some things, common interests? No, we just, we met and we were, were we have similar backgrounds in some respects. His, he's done everything at a scale larger than my own uh, on all fronts. Your scale's not uh, bad though. I've, you know, it's, he's done things on a larger scale. Uh, but but we both, we're both guys who've sort of made our way, had some decent successes in the private sector, find ourselves for the first time in the political world, take an approach where we don't worry about the naysayers so much. We do what we think is right. Uh, and I think we just were kindred spirits in many respects. We have a different methodology with respect to some of our communication. Uh, some would say that it's somewhat the same. In you do have a lot of similarities, you know, though. But again, it's, a, it's called being honest and shooting straight right. with people and let the chips fall where they may. And so we're good friends. And when I call him, he will either take the call uh, or he'll call me back pretty quickly. And I'm grateful for that. He doesn't need to. He doesn't owe me that. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. I probably have more communication with him than perhaps any governor does. He calls me regularly uh, as well for various things. So he'll come here. He's made clear he'll come. Uh, how much? We'll see. I don't, I don't want to take undue advantage of that. There's other things he needs to work on and focus on. And, and, and him traipsing around Kentucky is, is great for Kentucky. But the thing that people watching this should feel good about, and the thing they should think about with respect to whoever the next governor is, do you want a governor who talks to the president? who is respected by the president and respects the president, or somebody who never gets the time of day. I'm it doesn't matter what side of the political right. aisle you're on. You could be a Republican or a Democrat. You will want your governor to be friends with the president, friends with the vice president, friends with cabinet secretaries. Look how many cabinet secretaries have been here. HUD secretary, education secretary, labor secretary, vice energy president. secretary, vice president, president. They've all been here in many cases multiple times. I mean, that, this has never happened in Kentucky. I go to the White House on a regular basis specifically for things to the benefit of Kentucky and our companies here. When I sit down, I had an issue that involved companies here in Kentucky. I contacted Secretary Ross and then Secretary of the Interior. Right. And they sat down together with their staffs in the same room at the same time for 45 minutes. Think about that. I mean, how blessed we are to have that kind of a relationship. This is good for Kentucky. It's why we're seeing record investment, record jobs, and record upside progress. And I don't think the people of Kentucky want to look backwards. I really don't. But we'll find out in November. That gives you a little bit of a sticky wicket, though, as you're trying to do things like the China thing and everything and tariff talk. And, oh, but, I mean, you've got to navigate it, right? Not even a little. Because here's the thing. There are two different levels of what's going on. The president's responsibility on behalf of the nation, per the authorities given him by the Constitution, is to handle tariffs and trade and commerce at the national level. And that's what he's doing. He's up there talking president to president. That's his responsibility. My job in a federalist world and when delegation to the states is to do other things, which is talk at the subnational level, country to country, sure. you know, culture to culture, really. He's doing the country to country. I'm doing cultural, company to company, person to person. This, this summit that we had here in Kentucky, mm -hmm. it was like a tree falling in the woods with any of the media. You would have thought they would have been all over it. It was amazing how little, that is the largest summit that is likely to happen in 2019 between the US and China. We had 400 people, we had to turn people away. 
and we had the ambassador from China, we had governors and vice governors from China, governors and lieutenant governors from America, we had cabinet level officials from both countries, we had businesses and banks and investors from both countries, hundreds of them. The work that got done, the things that got done, the connections that got done were phenomenal. Between us and China, we're 40% of the nations of the world's GDP. Think about that. Between us and China, 40% of all the wealth produced in the world is produced in our two countries. That's not going to change anytime in the near future. And there's no way we're not going to work this out. It's impossible. We need them economically. They need us economically. We are each stronger and better when the other is doing well and thriving and trading with us. Sure. So I'm confident that President Trump and President Xi and our Ambassador Lighthizer and their equivalents on the other side are going to do what needs to be done. And when they do, who's going to be out of the gate first? What state does China recognize right now is somebody that's willing to partner with them? Kentucky. I mean, they've, it's been very clear. They invited every governor in America to come to their first ever import expo last year in Shanghai. One governor in America went. It was me. Why? Because I know this is going to be resolved. I got a degree in East Asian studies 30 years ago. I've right. been studying that part of the world. I've lived in it. I've traveled in it. I know that world. It will get resolved. And when it does, Kentucky will be in the pole position. Doesn't guarantee we'll win the race, but we're going to be in the pole position with our foot on the gas. And I like... I like our odds. Sure. I really do. Absolutely. Last question. Uh, how difficult is it? A lot of people poo-poo people of faith. Yeah. And I, 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 that just doesn't Not fly with Kentucky, me. Kentucky. Which is good. People in Kentucky respect me. But, but I mean, if you want to say the haters or whatever, how difficult is it? I, I mean, listen, I'm captain of the all-sin team. If it's not for the grace of God, then I'm done. But how difficult is it in such a contentious environment to, to do the things that you want to do and to do them the right way. Is, is, no. is that fair? Yeah, it's not, it, it's, it's fair, but it's not hard. Again, it's, it, I shouldn't say it's not hard. It's not complicated. It goes by, I said it a couple times earlier. It's simple. When I wake up in the morning, I don't decide am I gonna do the right thing or the wrong thing. I'm gonna hand out boxes of cash or not hand out boxes of cash. Am I gonna buy and sell the state or not buy and sell the state? People that preceded me, people that would hope to replace me, that's how they think. It's how they operate. It's not just hypothesis, that's a fact. This is, this is not how I operate. Mine is a simple task. And while I'm responsible to the people at the ballot box, if I run for office, I also believe as surely as we're having this conversation that I'm responsible to, the, to my creator. And I truly believe I'll someday answer for what I've done with my life. And I'm far more interested, far more interested in what I hear on that day than what I hear on any election day that I'll ever be a part of. And so I don't make decisions based on the politics of it. I do what I think is right to the best of my ability. I do it with my faith at the forefront of my decision making. My Christian faith is the driving core principle behind my decisions as a husband, as a father, how I was as a business person, how I am as a governor, all wrapped in, as you said, the flawed reality of who I am as a person. But without any doubt in my mind, that is my focus. Those principles those Judeo-Christian principles that I was raised with, that I'm raising my family with, that's the foundation of all that I attempt to do to the best of my ability. And, and I, history will decide what it thinks of all of it. Governor, uh, I can't imagine all the tugs on your time. Thank you so very much Thank for you. sitting down with us. It was you. great. We, we need to do the softball thing sometime. I, w I will do it. That, that, I love that could be softball. an inaugural activity. It'd a little good. cold in January. No, we could, you know. You can play can. softball any time of year in Kentucky. Thank That's you so much. great thing about Kentucky. Thank you so much, Governor. Appreciate it. This Sports Buzz podcast, available on Audio Boom and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us and let us know what you think.
Thank you so much. Cool. I, I, that went longer than I had intended to, good. but I appreciate it.